Hi, this is Karina Ganters, host of Behind the Pen, and you're listening to the audio podcast. Enjoy. Karina Gantis, your host for Behind the Pen, and this is a special for LitCon 2021. Today I have author Robert Springer with me. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you, Katrina. Um, Karina, uh, how did you uh, come up with the idea of LitCon, or is this, is this a joint venture? I just today was able to create a booth. Ah, you've got your author booth. Wonderful. Finally, yeah. Um, LitCon used to be called Brain to Books, and Brain to Books did it for four years, and I was uh-huh. part of that then. And then it changed to OWLS, which is O-W-L, no idea what it, what it uh, stands for. And then it came to LitCon, and what we okay. did uh, a few months ago, we had a little run test mm-hmm. to just uh, a couple of month's notice just to see if it would work for March and uh, it went really well and uh, it's a fight from the 5th till the of course people watching this now they're either watching the premiere on LitCon or they're Mm. watching it after but it was on at uh, March the 5th till the 7th um, panels live panels discussing most genres uh, of fiction uh, workshops on business, on your website, on uh, how to do a mailing list. There's workshops on everything. You've got your author booth, which where readers can go and look at their favourite genre and find all these beautiful books and new authors they've never heard of. So make sure all the readers that are watching and listening to the programme, because the author booth will always be open even after LitCon is, is finished on the 7th. So anybody can go over there and check out the booth. Um, what else we got? We've got narrations and story time done by three different uh, uh, volunteers that uh, read excerpts from the author's books. Mm-hmm. And we have, of course, Behind the Pen, which is a one-on-one interview with authors. And I'm speaking right now with Robert. So that's how LitCon came. Um, okay. We have like four maybe managers who, who know about the tech side and the business side. Then mm-hmm. we have the volunteers that are helping. I'm classed as a volunteer, even though I've been part of this for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and we have general managers, and then we have, um, and it, it goes down the line. So there's always people there ready to help and to 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 um, get the word out because it's a promotion now. Not just, I mean, we're we're ready now for the for the readers. So now it's not the about promoting to the authors. Now's the time to start promoting to the readers to know, get them to know about the big virtual convention and get them there because that's what it's all about. Well, Karina, first, I want to thank you for your YouTube that helped me figure out how to get 
my author booth set up, I walked through that and I had that in one tab and I had the booth in the other tab. And so I just, every time you'd get to a new plane, I'd stop it and I'd go take care of it and get it. With that YouTube, it was so easy to get it running. Thank you for saying that. And I thought that, you know, I've got to do this video. People are not going to understand how to do the booths, where they are and, and how to work them. So I'll do this video. It took, I miss it took about four or five hours to load up this mm -hmm. one little video. But like you said, it's helped you. It's helped many, many authors. So I'm very, very happy about that. And you're very welcome as well. Thank you. And I've, I've let my publisher know about it. And uh, I'm going to uh, be promoting LitCon to uh, you know my Facebook page, uh, Organ Pipes of the Soul. And so, you know, we'll try to get readers there because I certainly want readers. That's the whole reason I wrote this. This is this is the whole reason for LitCon. It's a it's a virtual book convention. Mm -hmm. And in the real life, when we go back to real life and well, we'll still carry on with the virtual anyway, because it's opened yeah. up a new door. Um, when you go back to the actual conventions, it's going to be just the same. It, you, the authors are there to learn, to learn how to do um, mailing lists and to learn how to do uh, set up a website. Um, the readers are there to find new books and new authors. And in a proper convention, they walk around and they stop at the tables and they chat mm -hmm. with the authors. And that's exactly what they can do with the virtual convention with the live panels which will be over everywhere facebook youtube discord um what's the other one called ah forgot it many many platforms and that will be live and so anyone readers authors anyone can tune in and watch these discussions with authors or marketers or whatever the panels are about um, so they're really important. And what we've done as well is we've done two time slots for each panel. So we've got the international side can come in and, and take part and also watch. And we've also got the US side that are on a totally different uh, time zone to uh, myself, which I'm in Greece, by the way, if you didn't know. Oh, no, I didn't. Uh... Um, normally, I start with uh, what were you like as a child, but I'm going to start with that reading that I did for you. Um, okay. I did a reading for you as part of Lit LitCon, and that will be premiered on LitCon um, over the weekend. And um, I'll hopefully have a time and date for you, Robert, of when that will be aired. After okay. it will go onto YouTube publicly so anybody can go and, and watch it. Um, Wow, the lighthouse, it's blew, blew my mind. I had oh. to read it a couple of times before I understood what was going on. Mm. Um, and because you don't know who Arthur is when I'm reading it, that's, you think, well, what's he doing there? Right. He's a little bit, I think, of ex explanation, but... But um, is that your first book? Is that your debut novel? It's my debut novel. Uh, oh. This is, I believe, chapter four. So the, the readers can actually read uh, the first three chapters of the novel on the Organ Pipes of the Soul website. Oh, wonderful. And 
Yeah, that way, you know, they can, you know, first of all, decide, do you like it, but also get to know, um, oh, actually, it's chapter six, but they can get to know there are three point of view POV characters in the novel who tell the story. Mm-hmm. And each of the first three chapters uh, opens with that person. And the first one is Arthur. Arthur washes ashore on the Isle of the Dead. Normally people don't arrive on the Isle of the Dead. They arrive on what's referred to later as the waking shore where people wake up. Um, and then slowly Arthur, because he has washed ashore, he has forgotten everything. He doesn't remember who he is at first. He slowly recovers his memories. And those memories include his relationship to this afterlife. What part of this afterlife um, you know, he he's part of this. He plays a big part in it, doesn't oh, he? Oh, he's the key part, actually, yeah. yes. Um, and then the second uh, point of view character is L. In, in, the, in home, the real world, the one we live in, Arthur... Uh, had met Elle at a party and wanted to speak to her, but was too shy and hesitant to do it. And so he goes through the whole rest of his life alone until near the end of his life, he and his dog kind of finds him. And so he lives to a very old age without anyone. When he reincarnated, at one point he had an option. He found he was able to reincarnate as Arthur again. And so he reincarnates as himself and he still doesn't talk to Elle. And this goes on for 30 lifetimes as wow. Arthur. You think he would have learned slowly... the first time? Well, it, because, you know, in, in the world of reincarnation, in, in, in most people don't remember their previous lives at first. And so it, what I set up, I set up reincarnation as sort of a, a problem to be in, in examined, mm-hmm. not solved, but examined. So Arthur, in reincarnating, has forgotten much, but not everything. He just slowly, slowly, and then in the 31st incarnation, Arthur does talk to Elle. They become a couple. They marry against her parents' wishes. But in each of these incarnations, he's, he goes off and he fights in World War I. He's a merchant marine. In the first 30 lives, he succeeds in getting off the ship. In the 31st life, where he's with L, he goes down. And that's why he's washed ashore. So Arthur is the key person in the novel, but he's not the only main character. L is a, a major point of view character. And the third point of view character, who doesn't show up in the reading I gave you, but she's on the website, Organ Pipes of the Soul, is uh, Coyote. And she's a warrior woman. She sounds and, like a name like that. Well, she wrote herself into the story. Yeah, they do that, don't they? You hear about it, but it really happened. I had actually written what I I was calling it then, The Isle of the Dead. And I'd written basically the novel, uh, Seat of the Pants, they call it, writing. Yeah. I'd written the novel from beginning to end. And Coyote wasn't in that version of it. And I was not happy with it. But I knew, okay, I have to get to the end. So at least I know how it ends. And then I started over. And when I got to chapter three... I began typing, Coyote Awoke with a Hole in Her Heart, which is very similar to what I finally ended up with for that chapter. And she literally wrote the whole chapter about herself, about um, she being a Marine and then eventually uh, state police. And then she ends, before she dies, she is in the border patrol for the United States and she is killed on the line of duty. And she wakes up in the waking shore, which is this foggy place where you wake up. 
And at first she doesn't know she's dead, but she's got wounds that don't make sense. And she finally realizes, I've been killed, I'm dead. And uh, she's a unique character in this story in that she doesn't belong here. And she never really belongs anywhere until over time she realizes she is important, to, not only to this afterlife, but to everything else, to saving it in effect. And um, she discovers love because she arrives with a, an image of herself that is, an, as I put it in the, in the chapter, plain to ugly, depending upon how she felt about herself that day. But, but in the end, she discovers that she is worthy of being loved. And she lets someone, a character that you'll meet in the, in the novel, into her heart. And it's very difficult if, you know, for her. She slowly explores her feelings. And, and at the end of the novel, she finds that she too is worthy of love. So it's it's sort of a romance story in, in that sense too. Mm. So um, everyone plays a part, don't they? Everyone plays a part in life. If, if oh, yes. someone was taken out of, like like myself, if I wasn't here, then my children wouldn't be here, and mm -hmm. you know, just life would be different for so many people because of one person missing that's correct, so everyone quite true. plays a part in life and the way you've done it in your book you've made it even more um uh obvious that these people play a huge part in the afterlife yes and and I, I do eventually, you know, clear up that this is not the entire afterlife. This is one of the afterlives that people can uh, end yeah. up in. It's, it's certainly not the one Coyote would have picked for herself. <laughs> but uh, I, I wrote this initially as a sort of an adventure story. It started off, when I first wrote this, it was a, uh, I think it was four, three or four page short story. I was in a, a writing class, which... I already had a BA in creative writing, but this was a refresher. I hadn't written anything in years. I was all rusty. You know how when you haven't written, the gears get jammed up with rust. Yeah. So I took this class and the instructor didn't like anything I turned in. Oh. And then the last thing I turned in was this short story called The Library. And it started with a t-shirt that said, heaven is a library. So I wrote this really short story. And he read it through and he said, well, this is a tidy conceit and then just moved on to the next person. So I never got any feedback from him. But after that class ended, um, three of the people in the class, a professional writer of not only, he doesn't make fiction for a living, but he writes things like prospectuses for businesses. Mm -hmm. He's an excellent wordsmith. Uh, a person who had an MFA, but had never published. And a person who had never written anything we formed a writing group and I slowly over time uh, just trotted out new chapters of this story that was evolving as I was working on it. Um, then when the writing group broke up, uh, I just started it over again and redrafted it completely. You know, so it took me about 19 years. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. I thought 10 years was a long time for my fantasy. Oh my <laughs> gosh. But my debut novel was a short story just like yours. Um, 18 pages long. Uh -huh. um, I wrote it when I was a teen. I put it aside and I picked it up when I come over to Greece because I was bored and had nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I just started typing it up and one page ended up being 20. And it just kept going on and on and growing and growing. And this 18-page book magically appeared as a novel. 
And that that's was how a debut novel, and that's how it worked. Just like yeah. with you, a short story turned into a novel. Did you, with the way the short story started, uh, did it go the way that you'd planned? Because there's so much involved in your story, um, so many paths and so many, um, like you said, points of view and different uh, perspectives and uh different um how can i uh, different places uh, um and different times as well uh, did your short story have anything to do with the actual book that you ended with it had a library in it and it had two people who find themselves in the afterlife those are the two common factors that people meet in the afterlife at a library and there is a library also in this novel um, and it plays a major part in the novel. Mm. So that is uh, from the short story. Um, all the rest of it, the nature of the characters wasn't clear in the short story. They just meet there and then it's very, uh, as, as you know, when you write a short story, they often simply fall out of your, your brain in one piece. Mm -hmm. And because they're so short, you know, it, as if it were a dream, you just simply are completely connected to your subconscious as this is flowing from your brain to your hands, to your keyboard or your pen or whatever you're writing with. A novel, as you know, is very different because you don't literally have all of it at, you know, you can't sit down and write a 500,000 word or 50,000 word or whatever, you know, novel, 100,000 word novel. And then mine's about 140 when I got done with it. Wow. But you don't write that in one sitting, obviously. So you have to be able to re-upload this story to your brain as you're writing it. And the reason it took me 19 years is I would show up at the office about half an hour early, and every so many days I'd try to write something. Well, that usually meant I had to reread, re-upload it, if you will, what I'd already written. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't know where I was. Yes, and so yes. I would re-upload it and I'd say, oh, yeah, that's what Coyote was doing. And then I'd move on with the next little bit. 19 years, though. Wow. Well, yeah, it was not that kind of job that left you with a lot of energy that mm -hmm. you felt like coming home and doing things. It was more like you felt like coming home and just turning off the world for a while. Yeah. So I... I, I tinkered with it and, and worked on it very slowly. And on the 20th year, I think in 2020, I finally went and I copyrighted it. And the pandemic was only, the only thing the pandemic did was I said, okay, I'm gonna get this out. People are, are using this pandemic to do things. I'm gonna get this novel product. And I decided to try to self-publish on Amazon. And it turned out that in, in the States here, a lot of libraries do not like to use Amazon books partly because the spines are always identical. They give you a cover and then they, the spine is, I think it's black and white or something. And a lot of libraries don't trust Amazon because there's no filter. So uh, I thought, well, I wanna go with some place that can hook up to a library. And I found a place that will publish a book for you, but you provide them the same things a professional does, which is a professional cover, interior, all design. Of, oh my God, this is getting really complicated. I, for my master's thesis novel, had uh, found a place called the Visionary Fiction Alliance. And I joined the Visionary Fiction Alliance for that novel and that project. And I just happened to be looking at their website and found that there was a uh, publisher there, um, Vizia Fiction. 
and he had just started doing fiction. He's been doing nonfiction for a while and had a call out to authors. So I sent him chapter one and he liked it and he had a couple questions. And then I sent him the first three and he said, yeah, that's it. Let's do this. And so I sent him the rest of the text and he designed the cover for me. My cover was it was going to look like you were selling a book on how to do organ pipe repair or something. <laughs> His cover was much more otherworldly. It's sort of like those 50 science fiction novels where there's some picture of something on the cover and it really has, you don't think, you don't know what it's got to do with it. But the lighthouse actually is, the real lighthouse is in Cape Hatteras. I'm looking up uh, here on you uh, because my son sent me a, a, a thing of the real lighthouse in Cape Hatteras. Uh, he took that image and then he he made it basically otherworldly. So I loved I loved the spiral for the lighthouse. I thought that was epic. When I I finally I looked at that and went, oh yeah, that's right. He really did capture it. And the lighthouse is the first thing that the reader encounters. You know, it's the first chapter. Because there are so many small presses out there, but there are also vanity press. There are hybrid presses. What is your publisher? Is it a hybrid? Is it a, a, a small press? Or how has he helped press. you? What has he done for you? Well, uh, he's a small press and he's building up his fiction, uh, you know, group, his group of fiction writers. But what he's helped me to do, uh, in addition to giving that wonderful cover, is find you, for example. I didn't find you, he did. Um, and so, although I have to then contact you and send you information and I'm doing that part of the work, he's been helping me to not only find sources where I can get the word out about the novel. And, and I'll tell you right now, what I told him when we first started this is I'm, I'm not expecting to make money off this. I know authors often don't. I want to get readers. So as long as I'm keeping him happy, right, and we're bringing enough money to make his expenses, I'm fine. I want readers yeah. because I want this story out there. Exactly. So he, and exactly. he helps me find ways of connecting yeah. to readers. Yeah. So uh, LitCon is a new way to, to connect with readers. And so I'm, uh, I'm going to, I've gotten my, you know, my booth up and I'm going to be there for LitCon and uh, interacting with other authors and with readers as they come into LitCon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to let him know. I, I I wrote him today, going. I figured it out because of this. Your YouTube. I said, okay, you had a YouTube that helped me figure out how to do the booths. Um, and I I entered in and under horror, supernatural, occult, because there are elements of horror. And in in fact, I clipped in a little bit of the novel where there's some pretty horrendous stuff going on, where a group of puppets. Sort of come to life in the art oh, gallery. No. Yeah, they're, well, they're not on strings, but they're they're puppets, right? You know, with wooden wooden hands. And in in my in my brain, when I wrote them, they were basically the the uh, the dolls that a uh, an artist uses to uh, draw figures, right? You've seen those little posable figurines made of wood. So imagine that they're now nine feet tall and they're coming after you. Oh my gosh! So there's no. that. That's scary. <laughs> uh, I entered under science fiction because uh -huh. uh, unlike a lot of visionary fiction, there is a real core of science fiction in this. I have a, a not point of view, but a major character who appears in, uh, you know, not contiguously, but he appears in the beginning of the novel and then he's a major character in the end. And he is a scientist, a neurophysicist mm. who 
has come up with a completely non-supernatural explanation for how there can be an afterlife and how they can be alive in an afterlife. Wonderful. And he's perfectly happy with that. Wonderful. Later in the novel, the main character has an encounter with God. And God is looks just exactly like him, literally wearing his face. And uh, so he's never quite sure if this is God or am I just you know, imagining this. Yeah. And God basically, this is the theodicy of a novel. A theodicy, by definition, is a defense of the goodness of God in the face of evil. And so in my theodicy, what I, I, I do is I basically explain you know, explain the way I feel about it, that the only evil that you need to explain to understand that God is good is the evil of human evil. And the human, human evil is a product of free will. Um, so at one point, Arthur says, you know, well, so this is all about free will. I thought you were the author of everything. I thought, you know, we're just the actors reading the lines you give us. And, and God says, no, no, if I were the author, then evil would be mine. I would be creating this evil, and it's not. No, all I do is provide the setting, the stage, if you will, and the actors come out and they, you know, you in, improvise your lines. And whether you improvise them for good or evil is up to you. Oh, and he says, by the way, I had the most important walk-on role. And uh, periodically I send people on stage to remind them to play well with each other, if you will. So... I leave aside. I love, I love the way you present uh, God. Yes, he's very casual and and uh, not <laughs> so uh, apologetic for for everything that's happening in the world. Like, uh, no, it's not my fault. It's uh, the actors' people, the, the other people's fault. So, do you have? I mean, you talk about God and you talk about spirituality and uh, the afterlife. Do you? I mean, whether you believe it or not, is it in your book? hell the devil satan ah, no um that's something i, I haven't written uh, a novel of if you will um i guess dante did that for everybody but no i i don't discuss that um it really is about you know whether or not free if you accept that free will is an is a acceptable theodicy defense of god that you know god there's a line where he says, I value your free will at the cost of my own life. And, you know, I, and I've had this conversation with my pastor before that the Bible, if you look at it as a Christian, the Bible does not tell you why we suffer. It says nothing about that. It is utterly silent. In the book of Job, Job says, I have all this suffering. Why am I suffering? I was a good man. Mm -hmm. And God does not answer him except to say, where were you when I made the world? If I told you, you wouldn't understand. In other words, you, you are a creature. I cannot explain to you, you know, did you make the Leviathan? Did you make this? I mean, how would you understand any of this, even if I told you? So in the Jewish part of the Bible, the earlier part of the Bible, there is no explanation. There's no explanation for why we suffer in the New Testament. The only thing we get in the New Testament is that God suffers with us. And that's important, but that's all we know. We don't know why we suffer, but we know that God suffers along with us. I feel, I mean, I, my, I go through, I've gone through a lot in my life and I'm still going through a lot. Um, I feel it's a test. 
I feel like I'm being tested. And mm -hmm. if I can pass this test and keep my strength and, and keep going through all this crap that's happening and I feel like, why me? You know, I am a good person. Why are you doing it to me? So I'm exactly like, you're, like you just said. The same words you just said, I've said it a thousand times. Why me? Why me? And then I thought, well, it, it didn't stop. It just carried on. It kept piling up more and more. And I'm like, it's a test. Mm -hmm. He's testing me to see if I'm strong enough to get through this, then I can do anything, basically. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I get through it. And I get up every day and with a smile on my face. And I, 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 I do what I can in, in the situation that I'm in. And I, I get on with life because... He's put me. He's put me there. He's given me this. I. I can I blame God for for what I what's going on in my life? I don't know who to blame, but um, I like to think that there's someone there um, listening and uh, helping, and um, not just. I don't know. I'm. It's difficult for me. I'm Roman Catholic and I have my own beliefs. I don't go to church. I, I got um, baptized and, uh, and christened and Holy Communion and what have you because I was young and I didn't have a say and I was forced to do all that. <laughs> when I was old enough and I didn't have to go to Sunday school anymore, Sunday school stopped. And it was up to me whether I wanted to go to church. And it got to one point in my life where I needed I needed God. I really did. And so I decided, let's go Sunday church and see how it is. And I, I went to the church and I got this, given this pamphlet. And it was the same words, the same songs, the same reading from the Bible. And I'm like, how does people come to church when it is so boring and everything is it's regimented. Everything is regimented in a church. You you say the same things. You sing the same songs. You you read the same psalms. There's there's no um, uh, in, individuality at all. And I went twice and I gave up and I said, look, I have my faith. You know I believe. I'll keep that in myself. And when I pray, I pray because I, I, I believe and I want to believe and, and that's it. I'll keep my religion to myself and I don't have to go to church. Uh, that's how I believe, you know, that, that's my belief that, that you don't need church, that uh, God knows how you feel without you having to walk into his house, if that makes sense. It does. Um and as you'll see, the, the main character of my novel, Arthur, is, is not one who has that kind of deep faith that people usually describe of churchgoers. Um, at one point, he, he walks away and he says, well, you know, what have I got to hold on to? I mean, did this really happen or was I imagining this? The only thing that he holds on to, and I think this is the thing that we can all hold on to, is, is God's is love. Love is the undergirding of reality. I mean, there is a, a, 
the Apostle Paul has a comment, or he's, he's, he's on in Athens, I believe, and he, he's reading a statue that says, within him we live and move and have our being. So this is a description of God. We have our, our being within the very being of God. And the writer of the letter of second, uh, the, the John, and he may be the gospel John writer, but he's, you know, the, the book of John, it says God is love. So if you put those two together, what it really means is that we live and move and have our very being in love. Love is the reason anything exists at all. And without love, there wouldn't be an existence. God gives of himself and in fact creates the, re the reality we experience because of love. In the meantime, there's pain, there's loss, there's suffering, there's yeah, all the stuff. And Arthur goes yeah. through that just as all of us go through yeah. that. Yeah. So it's a theodicy in that I do believe that in the end, um, God is not the author of evil, but uh, that doesn't eliminate all the pain. It doesn't eliminate it for the main character or any of the other characters, and it doesn't eliminate it for us. Is, is this a single book, or is there going to be a sequel? Are you writing I, <laughs> a totally different book now? I am I'm both, uh, currently I am, I am revising uh, my, my MA thesis novel. Um, as a second book, but it's not related to this book. And I also have, I think it's only about 12,000 words or so, but I, I was going to work on a sequel to this with Coyote and a guy, uh, one of the characters, Josh. So Coyote is my favorite. Coyote is I in the sequel. Yeah, I gathered that. <laughs> uh, she, yeah, she's my favorite. And this is her and uh, the guy, his name is Josh. He is the caretaker of the lodge. And they now have a new uh, assignment, if you will. Uh, it's not in the afterlife, as it's, but it's not necessarily on our Earth. It's sort of a parallel Earth. And I haven't got all that worked out. Mm. And being a seat of dance writer means I don't know how it ends. No, so no that's right. It. We pick up a pen and we just write. And once the story starts growing and starts breathing and becomes its own life and the characters become real to us because they are real in our heads so they they are real and the places that we write about they mm -hmm. exist because they exist within us and if we can get that feeling across in our book to the reader and the reader can feel like they're there and the reader can step into the character's shoes then mm -hmm. we've done our job yes that is that is exactly the job of the writer is is to convey this sort of dream that we have been allowed to pour from our hands and into the computer into the mind of the reader. It's like a tele. Uh, I think it was Stephen King, and I'm not a fan of his novels. I got to tell you, but I think I am yeah. a big fan of his book <laughs> on writing, and his book about writing. And Dean really Coots on writing as well. Both of them, Stephen King's and Dean Coots. Books on writing. I mean, yes. I'm a fan of Coots anyway, but I'm not of King. But right. yeah, both of those, both of those really, I was like, well, I started off just like you and you're a, a best-selling multi-millionaire author. Maybe I could do that. You know, I started right. off just like you and look at me how many, 27 years later, I'm still down at the bottom. But... <laughs> But you've had readers who enjoy the stories you've told, mm -hmm. who have experienced that story with you, in effect, you know, and um, I that's think one of them. When, when uh, writers start first time 
and they have all these dreams and I had all my dreams, you know, best-selling author, I'm going to make some money, uh, maybe get a film deal and get my, <laughs> you know, my book on screen. Um, 27 years later, 14 books later, um, I am happy where I am. I've got a beautiful uh, crowd of, uh, of supporters and uh, regular readers that are waiting for the next one to come out. Um, I write in all different genres. So my marketplace is everywhere, from young adult to erotica, from dystopian, sci-fi, fantasy, um, thriller. I write everything. So my readership is, is for anybody could find one of my books and enjoy it. And I, I give my books away cheap because I want to make sales, but not because I want to make money. You're not going to make money off a 99 cents book. You're not going to make money off a 2.99 book, not with what Amazon take anyway. <laughs> but, um, but we are, I personally don't do it for that. I do it. I'm writing for me. And then once I've written for me, I then want my readers to enjoy that book. I want to see those reviews come in and know that they understood where I was coming from mm -hmm. and not, oh, well, it wasn't my cup of tea and I didn't know what I was getting when I purchased the book. I want those reviews that say, I know where she was going to. I know what she was doing. I understood it. I enjoyed it so much. It was a page turner. The characters were brilliant. You know, I can't wait to read more of her stuff. That's what we aim for. Yep. It, uh, many, like I said, many authors, they want to try and do it and make money. Brilliant. Good luck to you. Um, even if you uh, have a polished manuscript, have amazing cover, have an amazing editor, formatter, even, even a marketing team, it doesn't mean you're going to become a best-selling author it's it's all up to the timing the kind of book what's selling what's not you know the way you do it um, now of course it's a virtual world so that's opened up even more doors for authors that didn't know existed you know podcast what's a podcast yeah no I've never been on the radio I don't want to talk about my book on the radio well I'm sorry but it's a virtual world and you've got to get out there if you want people to know about who you are and about your book you have got to be 100% confident in your work because if you're not don't put it out to the public because the public won't be confident about it if you don't put yourself out there as someone who believes in their work then no one's going to believe in you I agree. I do believe in my work, for, just as you were saying, and I put it out there not to, although I would love to have an animator pick this up as an anime, right? Oh, wow. That's not why I wrote it. I didn't write it to make money. I wrote it because I had these ideas and I wanted to explore them. And I also, I did want an, an engaging story. I mean, I'm not the kind of guy who would write a 300-page theodicy that's, that's just nonfiction, that, that's going to go on a shelf of some, you know, college uh, textbooks of theodicies or something. I actually wanted a, a story. And I wanted a story that people would then be carried along and read and enjoy. And so when they get to those passages where you've got to stop and think about something like maybe the theodicy or where Dr. Rajpuri is explaining how you can have an afterlife without having any spiritual 
any, you know, I mean, if, if he would, he didn't use the word mumbo jumbo, but his is, is strictly a materialist. Atheists could believe in this. I'm an atheist, but I'm in an afterlife. How did that happen? Kind of place. And yeah. but I didn't want to leave it there because to me, there is more than that. And that's why when Arthur meets God, Dr. Rashpuri is part of that topic. He says, um, my poor Manoj, which is this first name. He never really understood that you could keep digging and digging and never get to the end of it because all you're doing is looking at this sort of onion that, that the material world, the science itself is not designed to find true metaphysical causes. It is simply a tool for understanding the, the material world, but there's more than the material world. Mm. So then uh, that's kind of the thing that, um, you know, I, I didn't want to leave it there with Dr. Rushpuri, but I did have to mention that because in periods of my life when, you know, I didn't believe in God, I had to, well, how could, can anybody have an afterlife or how can there be anything like that if, if you don't have God? Well, maybe, I mean, Rushpuri's happy with his explanation. He thinks he's really fine and um, he's very taken with it. So I like it because you've got your beliefs and you put them, what you think into um this novel but not as a uh text um uh textbook of uh theodosy but as a adventure story a horror um science fiction it covers so many genres but you are not preaching you do not preach in your book and I got right. that just from that reading. The way that, that you're—that's not an accident. Yeah, the way the way that you're explaining uh, what's happening in that scene, and if someone understands what you're trying to really get across, you're not preaching because it's so entertaining to read. I, I did not want one of those novels where at the end the main character has his come to Jesus moment and now he has uh, the kind of faith that'll take him to an evangelical church. <laughs> I mean, that's just those I in movies, etc. I find those to be um, rather uninteresting. I got to tell you, um, and I've seen them. I've seen films like that uh, and I don't find them entertaining or interesting. I wanted something that challenged the reader but mm -hmm. who, that challenged the characters too, that didn't leave you with easy, easy answers. No. There's a, a point at which Arthur says, um, you know, believers in Jesus as Christ have this answer, but Arthur said, but you know, he doesn't know if he can do that because a lot of us are like that. You know, we, we we're told, well, here's the story. Here's the deal. I don't know if I can do that. We're, we're often many of us. And even those who, who have beliefs and have faith, have moments of doubt oh and yes to, you know so oh, in fact yes. one, of, one of the big liberating things in my life was discovering that the, the that israel the name that god gave to jacob you are now israel means in effect it means struggle he's given that name after he spends the entire night wrestling with god we are meant to wrestle with god uh, otherwise we don't grow you know and we're meant to have a world where we have to struggle otherwise we don't grow um, so as long as we're not hurting each other, you know, I think, you know, we're doing fine. Um, 
if everybody treated themselves the way God would have us, you know, would love us as, you know, if we would treat each other that way, this would be pretty much almost a paradise. Yes, we'd still have tornadoes. We'd still have people, our loved ones would die. But if we all supported each other and loved each other and treated each other, which we, we obviously know we don't, then this would be a wonderful, wonderful world to live and, in, even and with no other. It would be paradise afterlife of what they say is waiting for us up there when we die. But, That's my second novel. <laughs> but but we, are, we are here now on this planet going through one of the toughest times this world has ever seen um mm. that's affected every single body in the world no one has been unaffected by this some way mm. or another and it's a test it's it's another test we we're going through a really tough time and we've got to brave through it and we've got to uh, keep strong and go through every day and just um Grab it, excuse my language, grab it by the balls because no one knows how long you have on earth. No one knows you get hit by a bus one day, you could get the coronavirus and, and unfortunately uh, die. And, and no one knows how long we have. So we just have to, it's something like what's happened now. It makes you look at life differently. It makes you see what's really important. Not those little things you used to get stressed and upset about. They don't matter anymore. Only the big things matter. You know, you have to uh, keep in touch with your loved ones. Keep in, keep in touch with your family. Uh, people that you haven't spoken to for a long time. Not because you fell out, but just you've lost contact with. Get in contact with them again. Now is the time to reach out to people because we need each other. We can't hug. We can't, uh, we don't have that contact, but we have a virtual way of, of communicating. And so there's nothing stopping someone from um, communicating with someone. There's nothing stopping someone from talking with a member of the family or a distant cousin they haven't spoken to for a long time. It's, you've got to keep your family and your friends close. You've got to treasure every second of every day now and, and just um, enjoy life as, as much as you can. Um, with what you can with how you can be in lockdown I mean th that's difficult in itself but uh, there's nothing you can do about it so you you have to make the most of the situation yes I, that's absolutely true that's the world we live in and you know it it's been the world we live in it's just the pandemic kind of wakes us up to it you know it yes it adds that extra thing of, of the unknown Yes. And yeah, it does bring uh, bring home to us our, our limited time. And, and being a debut novelist in my late 60s uh, is also a reminder that, hey, you've only got so much time. You better get a couple more novels out. Yeah, you better. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, I'm working on that. Um, and as well as other things, uh, you know, Someone asked recently, it was a, some, some board, something, what are the most you know, influential uh, books you've ever read? And 
this came from a, a church thing. So obviously everybody's going to have the Bible. But what was, for me, the second most important one was a book. Uh, short, and I, I bought a copy recently because I used to have one. I, I let go of it. It's called The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm. And Eric Fromm uh, was, um, this is not a, a religious book in any sense, but what he says is that the highest art form that any of us can aspire to is to learn to deeply love another person. Mm. And that was life-changing for me because at, at the time I was, uh, I w all of my life since childhood thought I was going to become a graph an artist in, in the graphic arts, uh, painting, drawing, etc. And here, when I read this book, I think I was working in a factory unloading boxcars. So I read this book and I realized, you know, that's not the most important art. The most important art is to learn to love somebody deeply. But that took another 10 years to find somebody that I could connect to, right? And that's now 40 years. So, you know, things have worked out in that sense. And so to me, the most important art that any of us can do is, is the art of living and loving well then, you know, we can explore these other arts as avenues to uh, expand our understanding of, of this world that we find ourselves in, the graphic arts, the musical arts, the writing arts, the dancing arts, and the physical I arts. Think if you have that artistic bone, if you're born with that talent, it, it doesn't cover just writing. No one's just a writer. You're either a musician, a dancer, a singer, um, illustrator, um uh, whatever what else whatever missed writer author director mm -hmm. it's all to do with the arts and not one person is one thing if if they turn around and say oh i just write no i bet you can draw i bet you can sing a song you know you've got that artistic talent and that that artistic bone but it actually covers so many different genres of art, not just being an author, not just being a writer. True. If you look at any at little children, they're all the authors. They're all telling stories. I remember listening to my son in the other room in the bathtub, playing with his toys in the in the tub, narrating these long stories, <laughs> or or watching children who draw things and paint things. And they all do that. And somehow or other, it falls away from us. And perhaps the biggest thing is that um, artists, what we call, you know, the artists, the dancers, the musicians, the writers, the singers, we simply have been able to hold on to something that for most people falls away. And that's, I would rather see a world full of all of us still dancing and singing and telling stories and all that. Uh, when I did my MA thesis, I was trying to get other people to, in effect, do a sort of introductory. I was handing them a writing prompt in this in my MA thesis, and it was that you have awakened in what looks like a hospital setting, and you're told you have been resurrected from the dead, and that everybody is being resurrected from the dead. Go, take off from there. I don't care if you're a writer. I'll take care of all that stuff. Just give me your first impressions. And people were terrified. No one gave me anything. No. My wife, who is, is an, also a writer, uh, found a fellow a professional published writer of mystery novels. And she and my wife gave me, I think, about seven and five chapters, respectively. So I had a dozen chapters from them. I had to complete their story arcs for the novel and I had to complete my own story arc that I'd written before they joined on. 
So my MA thesis was basically a collaborative novel, which is not unique to me. It's been done a handful of times. Mm. Um, and so in trying to get people who don't think of themselves as writers to even set finger to pen, you know, to, to page, I mean, to, to screen, or, or write something longhand, because each of those has a different effect on our minds. If we write longhand, it changes the way we think a little bit. I, I'm the old-fashioned pen and paper. I always There you are. Pen and paper before it goes onto the computer. Always I would, except my handwriting is so bad. <laughs> oh, gosh, you see mine. I did my shopping list today, and my husband was like, what's that? I said, don't worry, I can read it. <laughs> yes. But most of us, we that falls away from us. So you know, you know, we're in effect we as artists we rediscover. And the other thing is that if we haven't been doing these things for a while, and I I told myself this year I was going to pick up pad and pen and start drawing again, and I did a few and they were okay. But if we don't work with it, our brain does get a bit rusty. And what happens is that after a while, people begin to believe, oh, I'm not a writer, I'm not an artist, I can't do these things. And those of us who do them, do them because we've continued, even in the face of uh, learning. You hand someone a violin, they're not going to start playing like Yasha Heifetz. Uh, it takes years. It takes 10,000 hours of, of practicing. And that's true in writing. When you write that first short story, you've been writing before that. And the first one may not be good, but you keep going and you keep going. And eventually the short story can become novel length and your short stories get better too. I'm, because you're used I'm to it, writer, right? Your brain but can I, download. I'm also, I'm also a singer. I used to. Ah, very good. Um, I then sang in choirs and uh, then uh, as uh, public relations to get people into the bars in the tourist area where we live. So I used to sing uh, songs to, to get them in as well. And mm -hmm. singing just gives me the freedom, the freedom to release myself and to just, I, I just absolutely love singing. And writing gives me closure. Ah. So I get my freedom and I get my closure. And the other day, well, the other day, it was a couple of months ago, we were, me and the kids, we got the paints out and we got the, the oil paints and the watercolours out and we looked on YouTube and we were watching some of these, um, how you do it. Mm -hmm. And we followed them. And we've got two beautiful paintings, one from one of my youngest and one that I did, up now, hanging up in the hallway. Yeah. And, and that's beautiful. To every time I walk out my bedroom, I see, I see that beautiful painting that she did, and I see mm -hmm. the one that I did, and I feel proud. And oh, yeah, when I, I mean, I don't, I can't sing, unfortunately, much longer because I have a problem now with my voice that stopped um, me singing. With uh, my wife bought me a bass guitar some years ago for Christmas because I kept talking about wanting how much I like to listen to blues bass and all that. And uh, I found that my hands just, I would, I, I didn't succeed in remembering it. And it was a, a point of contention. And part of it was that I knew that if I were going to try to remember how to play bass, that I would have to spend many, many hours getting my ear back, getting my fingers back. Yeah. Part of it is that 
uh, bass guitar is an accompanying instrument usually. And so I would, to play, I would be, you know, in a band or something like that. And yeah, I had other things, including writing that I wanted to do. So yeah, priorities. Priorities. Yeah. yeah. So I, I did, uh, you know, let that go. I still listen to music. Um, I still hear music possibly differently as you will hear people sing, you'll hear it differently than a person who's never sang before can hear. You can hear things in, in the voice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's still with you. It's always with you. It's, um, yeah, it's part of me. It's um, been passed on to my, my two daughters. They both can sing absolutely beautifully. And I know when I go, when things go back to normal and I, my husband works in a karaoke bar, <laughs> and when we go, I won't be singing, but I'll be listening to my daughter singing my songs because she pinched oh. my songs. <laughs> she pinched them? She pinched all the songs that I used to sing on karaoke. <laughs> She's taken over now, so I just sit there and watch her. And it's, that's it's beautiful, yeah. That's and great. She's an author. She's published two books. She's 11 years old. She's published two books, um, illustrated uh, children's books. She mm -hmm. wants to be an uh, animator and she's only 11 years old. She knows what she wants. And she's so, so talented with her singing Good. and her writing and her drawing. She helps me with book trailers. She helps me with graphics. And she's 11 years old and she's just awesome. That is awesome. That that it's is. it's the, the young generation of, of, of kids who's like, I can do this. I can do this. So that's really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I, who knows what will happen when she's 16, whether she still wants to do an animation because that is a really tough and, and long-winded and hard thing to do. I mean, she does it now and she does 80 frames for a two-second animation. Um, right. So she knows the work that would go into doing, uh, to work for a, a company to do mm -hmm. films and stuff, but that's that's what she's really into at the moment. It's marvelous. It it's is marvelous. Yeah. Getting back to you, Robert. So okay. you're working on uh, hopefully a sequel with your favorite character of uh, your debut novel, um, yeah. but you also want to do something with the um, work that you did with your book. Uh, the, oh, your, the master thesis book the master, exactly you said I, yes i have decided that i need to blow it up i need to have a, a heavy <laughs> impact mash it into pieces and 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 start that way um so uh I, how much of what was given me by the other authors i don't know i'll include it but you know um, they'll certainly be informed of every you know of this and uh but it, it's basically about the resurrection of the dead. So I'm still on this really <laughs> spiritual I would, novel kick. I would, I would love to, uh, to do that for you. Just uh, a thousand words of waking up in this room and being told you, you were dead, but now you've been brought back to life. What do you do from now? Where do you go? What happens next? I'll do a thousand words for you. I, I haven't decided if I'm going to open it up that way again. It was difficult. In, in the MA thesis, I had to learn to write in the voices of these other authors. Yeah. But at least it gave me some authentic different voices. And um, what, it, what, it di what is different is that unlike a lot of people think that at, 
at heaven, if you want to call it that, or the apocalypse. The word post-apocalyptic keeps coming up, and it usually means some kind of uh, Mad Max. That's not really what apocalypse <laughs> meant originally. Apocalypse means the, re the revealing, and so it's the revealing of God's kingdom on earth is the, the real meaning. And so what happens is that this novel takes place in the post-apocalyptic world. And God has, um, because unlike a, a, hand, a lot of people who think that, um, you know, Christian faith is all about who's in and who's out. I believe that in the resurrection of the dead, almost everybody gets back. You know, maybe a handful of people are going like, okay, no, that guy's not going to make it. And I know that in advance. Everybody is resurrected. And so, but what does that mean? So what I have is the main character finds that his love, his love of his life has not been resurrected. And yet he's seeing, that, okay, this couple's now together. These people are made, have made a couple, they're together. And so that is one of the conflicts, and uh, there's a reason for this. And then uh, I had created, and, and I think all novels need this, a character who's sort of like a, a joker, a, a breaker, a guy who comes in and shakes everything up. <laughs> and my character like that was so much like the character that uh, my novelist friend, because I haven't spoken to her in advance, I don't want to mention her name necessarily. Fine. Uh, wrote I basically imported her character and then added the sections where my joker type of character had come in and then extended that but so this this novel needs to be broken into pieces because I'm not happy with how it ends I mean I'm yeah. happy with uh, so uh, there's a lot of work to be done a revisioning yeah. to be done but I like that you've you've got it already uh, like I said we're pantsers both of us but yeah so you've already got the path of where you want to go with it um, yeah. And you, you, you've got your characters. You know who they are. You know, uh, you don't basically know what's going to happen because they tell you where they want to go, and and they'll 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 lead you to the right path. Um, so as long as you 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 know where you're starting, mm -hmm. and you know where your your direction is, then that's all you need to to get that. Uh, uh, start to uh, writing on your keyboard yeah that's one of the funnest things about writing about when when you get the story to that point is that the characters start to write their own dialogue okay. and it's authentic to them <laughs> they will argue with each yeah. other they will you know uh they have their own point of view um <laughs> and it's a real surprise sometimes what comes out but you know, the difficulty, and I've, I've encountered this as an, a novice writer, and I've encountered this on websites uh, like um, um, writershelpingwriters.com on Facebook. It's like sometimes that takes off and it heads in a direction you weren't able to control. And it, it's difficult. You have to learn to deal with it. You have to let it go a little bit that way, but you can't let it completely change the whole thing. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, if, if they want to go that route you follow that route because if you carry on on the path where you want and the 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 character doesn't want to go that way it's not going to work out it's it's almost schizophrenic that <laughs> you've got these voices telling you talking to you but that is what every single writer hears and feels mm -hmm. and goes through and it is amazing when you're in the zone and you're writing 
and it's just flowing out of you. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, unless you are a writer, you can't. It's so hard to describe the feeling of being in the zone and and just getting it all out and. Your fingers, you don't even watch your fingers typing. You don't even watch what you're typing on the screen. It's just coming out. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. amazing, magical. All the arts have that zone. They have their yeah. own zones. Um, yeah. There was a, uh, a world, uh, an Olympic gold medalist uh, skate. My wife and I just happened to tune in. She was skating. And this gold medalist was not expected to even get silver or bronze. She was just in the top 10. So, so she was good. She'd spent her 10,000 hours practicing. Yeah. She came out onto the, and I remember hearing this and she came out onto the ice, not expecting to win place or show. So she just let it go. She She relaxed, forget the gold, forget the silver, forget the bronze. And she skated. I remember not only our reactions watching it on TV, but the audience, the, the, the guys on the microphone who are narrating this for us, you know, the, the professionals, they're all like, oh my, what are we witnessing? It was perfection. She was completely in the zone from beginning to end. And musicians have that when they're playing. Yeah, when they're when playing. You can be, yeah, yeah, a guitar player with a riff. Yeah. It happens in all the arts, but it takes a lot of practice. You don't get there on your first bit. You don't get there. It's just the same as I mentioned earlier. If someone hands you an instrument and you've never played, you're not going to be playing in a zone. You can't have a zone. Even with beginner's luck, you aren't going to have a zone. (laughs) So um, eventually though, when you've practiced and and you've started to reduce, there's a comment that I have in the novel. Two musicians are are talking, uh, a musician is talking about another musician that she knows. And she's talking about how great this other musician is. And she says that the goal of every musician is to reduce the distance between themselves and their instrument to as near zero as possible. So that whatever happens in their mind comes flowing out of their hands and directly into the instrument. And then she said, this is true for all of the arts. Yeah. So that's what you want when you've been writing long enough. And even though this is my first novel, it's not my first writing. Obviously, I put my hours in. When you've been writing long enough, then it can start to flow out. And that's when those characters have the freedom to speak. Your subconscious mind can dream the guided dream that writing is. And it just flows out onto the page. and, And then you've got something. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Well, Robert, it's it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. It's been enlightening. It's been emotional. It's been, uh, you've taken me on a journey, let's say. Oh, thank you, Karina. That's what I love to do more than anything is take people on journeys. You've taken me on a journey. Where can uh, people find uh, your book? Um the organ pipes of the soul.com is my homepage and it has a link to purchase, but it will take you to Amazon. So if you look up the organ pipes of the soul on Amazon, um, at first it's going to come up with a couple of books on how to repair organ pipes. I have to admit, but eventually uh, it will show you that, that novel and it's available um, as a, a paperback and as a, a Kindle. Are you uh, on version. Kindle Unlimited? Is that why it's just on Amazon? 
Um, no, it's because my publisher hasn't put it anywhere else yet, and I'm going to have to have a conversation with him because it should be on Apple and it should be on Nook and places okay. like that. And there's no well, reason. In case he doesn't, uh, well, you should know, it, but he's a new publisher anyway. Draft to digital, they take the ebook and they put it onto nearly 12 different platforms. One I'm e write that down. <laughs> yeah, draft to digital. And then what happens is you get this one link. And it's a book to read link. Mm -hmm. And this link then takes a reader to one page that has 12 different places where they have the choice. That's the word. The choice to where they want to buy your book from. Nook, like Kobo, Apple, Amazon, wherever. Draft okay. to digital. That's where he needs to go. And that way you won't be stuck with Amazon and you give the readers a choice of where they want to buy their book. So many people I have I remember iPads. that. That's a really yeah. great tip. Thank you, no, Karina. You're welcome. I'm full of tips, me. <laughs> um, uh, and, and social media. Where can people find you on social media, Robert? I have a, a page, The Organ Pipes of the Soul, on Facebook, and I believe I put it in both of my uh, booths. So when we do the LitCon, it'll be there. Um, Wonderful. And, yeah, it's on, on Facebook. Twitter? Are you on Instagram, Twitter? No, uh, I'm, I don't even have a, a smartphone. I mean, <laughs> I'm a bit of a dinosaur. I, not that I'm technically completely inept. I'm rewiring my living room. I've repaired uh, my Apple Plus and put a new cathode ray tube in it. <laughs> so I've done a few things, you know, hard drives. But somehow, I in the software world parted ways a while ago, and I, I barely kind of caught up to that. My Not wife gave me her Kindle paper white, and I've got the old kind with the buttons on it, right? She Mine handed me the broke. paper white, and after a couple yeah. swipes, it was going back to page one. I'm going, what did I do wrong? Yeah, so I had uh, I had the first one, the first ever, and it broke uh, last year. And I haven't bought another one because um, I do my reading on on the computer now. But um, uh, I was I was reading now uh, 125 books a year. I was just soaking up books because of the Kindle, and I wouldn't mm -hmm. have had that opportunity with paperbacks, even though I've got a beautiful library upstairs. But that library just stays there because that's the books, you know, the books wow. that you've read hundreds of times, you know, one day you're going to pick up and you're going to read it again, the full series and the full series of that. I won't go into what books they are. Most people okay. put them on their bookshelf as well, but they are my pride of place. You know, they stay there. Um, but uh, e-books, yeah, I watch, I read uh, my e-books on, uh, on the computer. But so many people have uh, iPads, so Apple um, iBooks is a really good one to have your book on. Yeah, but if yeah, you've got, as long as you've got a Facebook page and people can actually connect with you and you can connect with the reader, then um, another one, Goodreads, um, if you haven't sorted out a Goodreads uh, page, then I would uh, advise you to do that. Make sure your book goes on Goodreads. That's a great idea. I'll do that. Um, that my is Facebook page way. has some photographs to which you can't put in. And, you know, I, I wouldn't put some of them on there because I'm not 100% sure they're all public domain. But I've got most of them are from the 20s. So I've got some of the photographs that inspired me in certain scenes. I've got photographs oh, of locomotives that look like the old 493, the locomotive, lighthouses, actually, teletypes um, and things like that. You can actually put photos 
and, and videos and narrations and anything onto your Amazon page by going to Amazon Author Central. And that is a page where you do your bio mm -hmm. and you put your photos up and you check for your new reviews. And what you can do now, before they used to have separate Amazon uh, author uh, pages for different countries. Now it's one. It's all one. So what they allow you to do is to translate your bio into French, into German, into Italian. So anyone that goes on Amazon.ItalyIT, uh -huh. bio will automatically come up in Italian. Fascinating. Thank you. That's another thing I didn't know. We, we need to chat more. We need to chat more. Anyway, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure uh, meeting you virtually um, after uh, reading uh, some of your uh, your wonderful book. And I hope people, um, whether they're religious or whether they're atheist, it's not about that. It's uh, entertaining adventure horror sci-fi just a really really good book to read so i hope everyone goes out and uh, gets your book and make sure that uh, because this is litcon whether you're listening to this later before um during pop over to see uh, robert on his uh, author booth and find out more about his writing and his wonderful books thank you so much for being a guest robert it's been a pleasure thank you it's, it's mutual. Thank you.